we need to know things about um, economics in sports and other things, including gender in sports. We call our friend at Southern Utah University, Professor of Economics, David Berry. David, how are you? Thanks for your time. I'm good. I'm good. The more I learn about name, image, and likeness, NIL, it seems the less I know, and maybe not the less I know, but the less clear it is to me. Um, do you have a really clear picture right now of what NIL is? Well, I mean, no one has a, has like a, a um, it's, it's, there's not an established marketplace per se. There's no established rules. Um, what we've set up is, uh, it used to be historically going back, you know, over the last century and a half since commercial college sports began, uh, universities and teams would make payments to athletes under the table. Um, and that's how you would recruit them. And everyone would deny this was happening. And then we would have periodic scandals revealing that this was happening. And everyone would pretend they were shocked that this was happening, but we all knew that this was happening. Um, name, image, and likeness has taken that process and made it formal. Um, so that now we are just making the payments to the athletes. Uh, and it is it is done exactly in a very similar fashion to the way the under the table payments were done. Uh, it is boosters giving money to athletes. But now the boosters are allowed to do that. Uh, this has created a lot of consternation uh, among people because now the athletes have a different reason to attend the school, uh, supposedly, than to get an education. Um we should only believe that consternation if we ever thought that was what they were doing in the first place. I, it, they, that was never the intent, anyways. Uh, this is this. It, it's important to emphasize: college sports became a commercial business the moment you sold a ticket to somebody. That's a business, okay? So going back to the 19th century, when they said, "I'm going to sell you a ticket to watch college students play a sport," you mal made a business. That's a business. That's not a that's not a class. That's a business. No one is we're not selling tickets to my classes, right? That's not how that's working, right? Oh, they I would mean, sell. They we know tuition. that. Yeah. They pay tuition, but you know, every class is treated the same. They're not treating them differently. So that's you know, once you said, I'm gonna put these athletes on a field and I'm gonna sell you a ticket to watch them. Now you have a business. Now the question is, how are you gonna compensate the athlete, the one who's you're watching? And what Colleges came up with was a scam where they said, we're not going to pay the athletes any more than the cost of attending the school. And they did that for a very long time. And then they got greedy. They decided that they were going to sell the name, image, and likeness of the athletes that they were using to third parties because they thought they could do anything they wanted to do. And the courts, all the way up to Supreme Court, and it was interesting how unanimous this is across all political, the entire political spectrum. They all looked at the same thing and went, wow, that is really, really illegal. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> it's totally illegal. That is not, that is, that is unethical and illegal. Wow, you are bad people. That is not something you get to do. Um, and then that created now, okay. So when we think about name image like this, it's important to remember this market was created by the universities. They chose to do it didn't exist before that. They chose to sell them. Once they did that, the court said, okay, we're going to revert the name, image, likeness rights back to the athletes who own them, just like it is for everybody else in the economy. And then once you did that, 
Well, it turns out you can't define what a name, image, and likeness deal is. That means that anyone can give money to a college athlete in the name of name, image, and likeness, which means anyone can pay now a college athlete. So that's that's where we're at. And so now universities are setting up offices to facilitate the deals. Um, but we've created a system where the college athlete is now being explicitly paid by a third party. So you you have an employee that you've hired, and they are employees. Uh, there was there was a quote by uh, the uh, Mac Brown, the coach at North Carolina, saying that we're getting to the point where we're going to be starting to call these people instead of student athletes employees. I'm sorry, they've always been employees. That's never not been the case. They've always been employees. You admitting it is what we're getting to. <laughs> we're going to admit that that's true. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. The fact that it took you over a century to admit the obvious, that's fine. Um, so what we have is a situation where a third party is paying your employee. Okay, You're hiring them. You're managing them. They're under your direction. But a third party pays their salary. Okay, that creates some real serious problems because... And I've brought this up in interviews before. Let's say you're recruiting two quarterbacks. There's two quarterbacks that you're thinking about hiring. And you decide that you like A, and the person paying decides they like B. Who gets to decide? And how's the coach going to feel when the booster says, uh, I'm when, when you go to the booster and you say, for me to get A, you got to pay them. And the booster says, I don't like A. I like B. Go get B. Uh, but I don't. I don't want. That's not the one I want. I'm sorry. I'm the one paying the bill. So I'm the general manager here now. You hire the quarterback that I choose. Now the coach has a problem. You're not recruiting the athletes anymore. Somebody's doing it for you. You have the same problem that head coaches at the professional ranks have. You're not choosing the player. Somebody's choosing them for you. Now, how do you like that system? At that point, I would hope that a uni university would start saying, you know what we could do to solve this problem? <laughs> we could just hire the athletes ourselves. <laughs> Why don't we just do that? <laughs> we'll just hire them ourselves, and then we can decide who we hire. But then and that gets in the way of their the, the greed that you mentioned very early, right? We've got all these hundreds of millions of dollars in the system. We have a budget that's based on this. And now we're going to have to take a bunch of that money and actually pay them? Yeah, that means that what you're going to do is have to go to the coach and say, you know how I was paying you $10 million to run a business that only has like $30 million in revenue? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to pay you $1 million and we'll take the rest of the money and give it to the players, which is exactly what professional ranks do. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense that a college football team or a college basketball team would pay the same coaches' salaries as an NFL team or an NBA team because the revenue is vastly different. Mm -hmm. An NFL team will bring in hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. The very top college football team might get to 100 million in revenue, but not much more than that. So it's it's many magnitude times bigger, the NFL is. But the NFL pays their head coach the same amount because, hey, I got to pay all the athletes. I got to give them $40 million a piece. I can't give you, I can't make your salary be one third of the revenue that would be and also at the professional level they know hey it turns out you're not that important i don't i don't need the coach i need the player 
it's the player that people are coming to see, but also it's the player that determines the wins. And you can coach all you want, do all the coaching you like, but if the other team's players are better than your players, you're losing. It doesn't make, there's no magic words. You don't have a Harry Potter wand. <laughs> you can't transform a player into something they're not, okay? What are you supposed to do? I mean, imagine you're 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 an NBA coach and and you're charged with guarding your your team has to guard Steph Curry. What are you supposed to say to him? You know, I, I I've noticed he shoots a lot of threes and makes them. Why don't you guard him? Yeah, I thought about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of other that? people have tried yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, nobody can do that. Why not? Because he's really good. That's why he's really really good. He's really really good at this, and and it doesn't make any difference where you it doesn't make he's going to make it anyways. So there's no magic defense. There's no, I got this figured out. No, no, there isn't. It doesn't work that way. That's not how, that's not how sports works. So if this so, so that, I think at some point colleges will realize it's the coach isn't as important as the player. Yeah. Nick Saban has no magic words. Nick Saban is just recruiting better players. What business do you know of that, that uh, a third party pays? What, what business would I be in if a third party paid my employees? Uh, there isn't one that does it. That this is the only one I know of that does that. This yeah. is this is unique. This is a this is a unique idea. Um, I, I guess to some extent, um, I don't know. Maybe there could be government contracting deals that might work this way. Where yeah, but that's a I hire I hire the worker, but somebody else directs them, and I don't know. But but it's not to this extent. I mean, this yeah. is really the case where the vast majority of a person's pay is really dictated by somebody outside your organization because the booster is not part of the athletic department. They yeah. are not part of the university. Uh, and, and what is really bizarre is that they're willing to do this. I mean, that they're willing to make yeah. the payments because it's, here's, this gets back at the gender issue. So one of the issues that people bring up about women in sports is they say the reason why we don't have more women's sports or the reason why women's sports aren't invested in as much as men's sports is because the profit isn't the same. Well, this whole booster story is very interesting because you have people making investments and there is no profit at all. You have no claim to the revenues at all. If I am paying name, image, and likeness deals at University of Nebraska, I don't have any claim to the revenue of the University of Nebraska. I get nothing. The profit is zero, nothing. So why are you doing it? Because I like it. Well, that's not what I'm hearing about women's sports. That's not your argument. <laughs> your argument was there wasn't any profit. So that's not the story. Okay, that's not what's motivating you. This this whole thing about sports is that they're not motivated by profits. The reason why these people make these name, image, and likeness deals is because they want their team to win. That's it. I'm making these deals because my team winning makes me happy and my team losing makes me sad. And I got nothing else to live for in life. If, if David so. Barry incorporated paid the university of Nebraska, a million dollars to get a quarterback and the team goes three and nine, at what point do you say, maybe yesterday you said, what am I doing here? I just spent a million dollars for a guy who's not going to be in the NFL. He didn't lead us to a winning season. And um, uh, did I just throw my money away? Yeah, that, there are a lot of deals that are going to work out like that. Yeah. And and when that happens, they're going to fire the coach. I mean, they're going to call the athletic director and say, get rid of the coach. I just they're going to fire the coach and then pay the next coach even more millions uh, of they dollars. They will do that, absolutely. These coaches yeah. are tremendously expensive. It is important though, to, to, to put the deals with the coaches into the context of the overall budget of the university. Because I don't think... 
I think that's often missed in these mm -hmm. conversations um, is that people don't have a sense of how big a university budget is. So if I tell you firing this coach is going to cost me $20 million, from my perspective and John's perspective, that's a lot of money. But from the university's perspective, their budget is in the billions of dollars, billions and billions of dollars, billions. They are the, the major universities. Uh, like Ohio State, I was told their, their operating budget is $7 billion. So if they have to pay $10 million to fire a coach, yeah, big deal. I got $7 billion. I can pay $10 million to fire a coach if I have to. It, we, we think of these athletic departments as being huge and vitally important university, monetarily speaking. But they're not. It is still the case the primary business of universities is education of students. And that's where they make most of their money from. Um, it's not selling football tickets. The football tickets end up being a biggest part of the university president's time because when they talk to people, that's what they bring up a lot. So they're not going to bring up the economics department or the communications department or the chemistry department. Nobody, nobody cares about that. So when they're when the athletic, when the when the university president is talking to politicians or talking to donors, they bring up the sports teams because that's what they know about. And so that becomes a big part of their time. And if your team isn't very good, then you have a lot of conversations that aren't very much fun. And so the university president has an incentive to get rid of these people, much more so than they would if you said, you know, if, if somebody said, you know, I understand your economics department is really not quite that good. Um, I don't know what you're doing about that. And the university president would be like, I don't even know who's in the economics. I don't, I don't even know what that's about. I don't, <laughs> like, I, don't the, I don't know the... I don't know the you know. economics of the economics department. I, I've got yeah, too they, much they don't, stuff they don't to worry know. about. It, it would be interesting to do it. This would be a fun study to do is do a survey of university presidents and ask them, how many coaches can you name? How many professors can you name? Yeah. Because <laughs> I think the answer is they know all the coaches. Yeah. Yeah. And you ask them, who are your professors? I'm sure we have some. <laughs> I'm positive that they exist. Uh, my daughter just graduated from the University of Wisconsin, and uh, I went to their um, graduation ceremony. And I spent my career always at, at smaller schools uh, where the faculty are much more involved. And it was interesting watching this ceremony because there were no faculty there at all. It was just the deans. Wow. <laughs> there were the deans. There were the deans. And there was the deans and the provost and the vice presidents and the president. They were there. Um, and that meant, you know, there's, you know, a lot of colleges at the University of Wisconsin, so there's quite a few deans, but the faculty were like, I said that to my daughter, I said, where, where are the faculty? Oh, they left a long time ago. This is, they, the semester's over, they went home. I went, oh, because at my school, we, we like go to that and we go like, you know, we participate. They're yeah. like, no, they, they don't. They... And it was pretty clear when you listen to the whole ceremony, like when the president and the other people talk, they barely mentioned that there were even were professors, like. Are there professors here? <laughs> Who's actually doing this? A lot of them. Do you have professors? They mentioned the sports teams. They did mention that in the speeches. They mentioned that, you know, our athletic teams did this or that. And you're like, that's great. You, you did, how about that education thing? You do any of that? I'm sure we did because they're graduating. So somebody must have said something at some point. I, how about that volleyball team? Um, <laughs> okay. All right. It's it's odd what your priority. But I think it, it reflects the conversations they end up having with mm -hmm. people.
that they don't spend a, the people they talk to aren't going to ask about the latest paper or the latest book written by a professor. Um, they're going to ask about what the football team did or what the women's basketball team did. That's going to come up in conversation a lot more often. So therefore, the president spends a lot more time talking about that and they're more interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other stuff is like, you know, I, I don't know. At Nebraska, have you met your university president? Yes. Yeah. Well, well, as you know, we have like four campuses and he's the university president. I know the chancellor of the he's out. He's retiring now, but no, the chancellor of our campus better than I know. I don't really know the president. I've met him. Hello. Shake his hand. He wouldn't know me from David Barry. See, uh, see, I I work at a smaller university, so I know I personally know the president, the vice president, the provost. I know all of the and actually I have them in my phone. I text them and talk to them and and I do that all the time. Um, so I know all these people. So you uh, could be like a, campus. so you could be like an, an NIL sponsor. You could just call I, up and say, I've I, got a million dollars. Well, and... could be. Um, I, I, it was the case that our, um, our basketball team, our women's basketball team made the NCAA tournament. Uh, the provost sent me a text and said, I'm curious, what is the economic benefit of, of our team reaching the NCAA tournament and getting all this national media attention. And I said, I don't know. What's the economic value of your economics professor getting all this media attention all the time? Have you thought about that? And he said, okay, good point. (laughs) I have not. Yeah. As soon as I get off the phone, Mr. President, I'm doing an interview with the New York Times. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. Because every time I do something, I send them a note saying, by the way, uh, I was just I just did this. I just did this. I just did this. I want you to know I'm doing this for you. I don't want you to be confused about this. Um, And so, but, but yeah, it's like, I tell them that, but, but I would guess if I were at a bigger school, they'd be like, I I don't care. (laughs) I don't care the slightest what you do. I've got a football coaching problem. (laughs) Nothing you do matters. It doesn't make a difference. If the football team goes, if the football team's undefeated, then I'm a winner if your department implodes, I don't even know that even happens. So yeah, well, I I'm sorry, but we have a three and nine football team. We have bigger things to worry about than, than educating yes. students. Come on, we got of course, it, it's because I I don't, yeah they they don't have any. Also, I would imagine they would probably have their sense would be I don't have a lot of agency in that area. I mean, I I have deans, I have provosts, they handle things like that, and that's not going to come to me anyways. I'm not going to be involved in those kind of decisions or what's going on. And, and, and also from a president's perspective, given that you're looking at the entire university, I don't have any expertise in that area. I couldn't tell you how to make the chemistry department better. I have no idea what it is they do or what would make that better. David Barry is professor of economics at Southern Utah University. I'm John Schrader. We're talking about the economics of big time college athletics and I don't know if my thesis is correct here, but I don't think the way name, image, and likeness is being done now is sustainable. If if that's what you think, then what happens next? I think in terms of um, a business for colleges, it's such a it's such a weird type of organization. Universities are nonprofits, um, so it doesn't really make a difference if somebody it's it's not it's not it's not the same thing as running general motors um and so that's that's why this has always been sustainable i think you if you would have said 
150 years ago when you set out doing this and said, I'm going to create a business where I'm going to sell tickets to sporting events, but I'm not going to pay the athletes. I think people would have said that doesn't sound like a sustainable business. How can you possibly do that? Um, how are you going to maintain this? How are we going to do this? Um, and it, it worked. It worked. It's not a, it's not a it's not a for profit business. And you can create you can create deals where where people collude to make sure that payments are not obvious is pretty much what they eventually that was what they decided on. It's 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 not that you're not going to make payments. We just don't want to hear that you're making payments. So we're only going to catch you if you're really bad at it. If you're SMU and you're really bad at it, then we're going to have to say something. But if you do it so that we don't hear about it, well, then we're okay with it. Um, so learn how to do this where it's not out in the open. Um, and now we've got the point where now it is out in the open. So can they do this? I would think the scenario that I came up with that I mentioned earlier was the, where the third party picks the players would be the thing that would break the back of all this. I don't know anything else that would break the back of all this. Um, boosters paying for things is what we've done for a long time. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not a competitive balance issue. College sports doesn't have competitive balance. It's never had competitive balance. The top teams always win. Uh, we're not going to reach a point where if you look at the hundred teams that are in division one football, that, 80 of them are, are going to be contending for a national title every year. It's always been, no, there's just five or six teams that contend for the national title. Most of you are not winning a national title. And we already know that. That's not going to change. Um, and that's true in basketball. That's true. It's true. And, and, and it's important. No, this is uh, this uh, one of my co-authors, Jim Peach, uh, at New Mexico State, did this research years ago, which I thought was really interesting. He went and looked at all of the college sports. What's the pattern in all the college sports? And he said, it's exactly the same as college football and men's basketball. It is the same. There's a small collection of teams that win year after year after year. And it's not the same teams in every sport, but every sport has its own collection. So in wrestling, for men's wrestling, there's like two or three programs that win all the time. And why is that? Well, historically, what has happened is I don't have any way of directly paying the athletes a lot of money. Um, so the athletes are just choosing the schools based on whether they get a win or not. And they're going to go to the ones that won in the past. That's how they choose. Now you have name and likeness. That changes a little bit. I, I, I'm curious to see how much it's going to change. I, I would think the depth at Alabama is going to be a little bit reduced because those backup players are going to choose to go someplace else. And so when injuries hit the Alabama football program, it's not going to be the case that I'm going to substitute one great quarterback for another great quarterback. I'm going to actually, at some point, I think Nick Saban is going to turn and go, who the hell are you? I'm your backup quarterback. Oh my God, we're doomed. Um, <laughs> this is not going to work. Yeah, you, you you would have been my seven string quarterback in the past, but You're I don't as good as the guy I had last year. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So I have this I have this guy who probably was like the best quarterback in some town in Alabama that I gave a job to because some booster thought it'd be great, but I'm like I wasn't going to play him. <laughs> it's like I got to play you. Oh no, we're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that might happen. So it might, it might be that college sports become a little bit more competitive, I think. Um, but it's not going to fundamentally change the business of this all. Fans are addicted to these teams. They're not going to become fans don't care what you pay them. Yeah, they don't. Um, yeah. You know, they're not going to care. Slice. If, if you told if you told every Nebraska fan, um, if you would go back in time and you said, that when Nebraska won football championships, all those players got paid. They got paid X amount of money. It was all under the table. Um, fans knew be that. like, "Yeah, I they won. I don't I don't care. Yeah. They yeah. won." 
I don't care what you did. I only care that you won. Um, and, and that's going to be true going forward. No one's going to care what the players are paid. They just care if you win. You win, I'm happy. And you lose, I'm unhappy. And that's it. And it's that's that's how sports fandom works. Do you think, David, there is something to this notion that if the players had a collective, if they bargained for themselves collectively, that would be good for them? And if so, who's going to do that? Well, 10 years ago, yes, that was a very good idea. Before we had name, image, and likeness, definitely. Mm-hmm. Form a union, collectively bargain, become employees, get the rights of employees. Now that is becoming increasingly a better deal for the universities because here's a deal about, and, and, and I, I've written about this actually, I actually have an article coming out tomorrow uh, at a, at a website called the sling where I make this point. Um, you never, uh, there's a, there's a deal in collective bargaining agreements that we have labor market laws in this country. Um, you can't, you can't create obviously monopsonistic, what monopsony means, you know, the, the the firm has the bargaining power. You can't create markets, labor markets, where the firm has has the ability to tell the worker you can't negotiate with another firm, um, or you or I'm going to cap your pay and you can't actually be paid more than X. I'm going to make it so that's not possible. Okay, so we have minimum wage laws, but we don't have maximum wage laws. That's not legal. You can't do that unless unless all of the workers get together and sign a collective bargaining agreement and give away those rights. And in professional sports in North America, they did that. So therefore, we can cap the pay of a WNBA player. We can cap the pay of an NBA player. We can do that. So if you form a union in college sports, it is possible for that union to negotiate away all of their rights and make it so that their pay is capped. They can be allocated to teams, however the union agreement is. And unfortunately, uh, organizations are very good at making up stories that that athletes buy into. That we have to have a player draft and we have to have a salary cap. We have to have these things in the name of competitive balance. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not true. There's no evidence that those things create competitive balance. Oh, I'm sorry. It's that definitely true. You got to believe this. We have, to, And they've been telling a story for over a century now, right? They just keep telling the same story. And athletes buy into it that if we don't do this, the very best teams are going to buy up all the best players. Well, we already do that in college sports. It doesn't make any difference. Nobody cares that Alabama wins every year. Um, but they—they—it's they, amazing that they—it's st- amazing. I've actually heard commentators say that during football broadcasts and basketball broadcasts, they'll say this name, image, likeness thing is going to get to a point where the best teams are going to end up with all the best players. That is already what you're looking at. How do you not notice that? How are you? How are you a commentator on college sports and not know that the best teams have all the best players? They already have that. How is that different than what you just? You already have that. So how, this is not any different. Um, and so, but I, I think you form a union, then you can create a you can create a thing where name image likeness deals get capped. Um, all sorts of things can happen. That probably. I, I think the I think the the athletes are better with a totally free market. Just make it so that everyone can pay you whatever they want to pay, which is how every other market works. That's how professor market works. How university president market works. Every other market works exactly like that. You can yeah. pay them whatever you want. 
I think it's funny. Uh, funny. I don't know if it's right. That's not the right word. I think it's interesting to know that there are so many young athletes in college who are going to make more money now playing college athletics than they're ever going to make as professionals. Well, that's a little, that's a little uh, as professional. athletes. It, it, is, it is, it is the case that what they get paid. Okay. It is the case. Yeah. For, or for maybe they're already the, professional athletes. Some of the athletes, if they don't turn into top professional athletes, their name image like this deal is bigger at college probably than it will be in the pros because mm -hmm. they're not a big enough name in the pros. Yeah, so that might that's what true. I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. But yeah, it is the case though, when you look at like WNBA players, the name image and likeness deal is bigger than their WNBA salary, but it is also the case WNBA players also sign a whole lot of name image and likeness deals. Um, and so the very top athletes get paid more than they did in college. But I can see that if you're not there are a number of very famous college basketball players who they get to the professional rank. It's like, I'm sorry, you're actually just the 10th person on the bench. You're not a big star um, and you're never going to be a big star. And it's like, but I was like this huge thing in college. Yeah. Everyone out here was a huge thing in college and you're the 10th biggest thing. In, from You're not that good. Still one of the great um, players in the world, but you're yeah yeah you are yeah in the world yeah. like in the wnba it's 144 jobs so yeah. in the world you're in the top 144 unfortunately you're like 120 not 20 yeah david <laughs> so, and unfortunately that's a big difference that's not yeah the same yeah you you, uh, you you help me lead me into an area i want to talk about david barry professor of economics at southern utah university i'm john schrader we're talking about the craziness of college athletics, uh, economics, and other things. Let's pivot to um, gender. Let's pivot to women in sports. Probably never a better time to invest either emotionally or financially in, in women's sports, uh, I think. Um, and How does this NIL thing fit into what's happening in women's sports in college if it does? I think what's interesting to me about NIL and also just social media in general is that historically uh sports were only covered by the main media operations and historically and there's been studies that have made this point over and over again 95 percent of the mainstream sports media coverage goes to men and that's because if you look at who is working in mainstream sports media it's mostly men and men choose to cover men um, they don't choose to cover women they're not interested in women they cover the men What's interesting about social media and about NIL is that that is a much freer market. It's much more fragmented. There's not one person making all the decisions. And what you're seeing is that the gap between men and women has closed tremendously in those markets, which tells you, I think, that what was going on in the major media operations for years was not a reflection of the market. It was a reflection of the preferences of the people making the decisions. Because if it were the market, then it would be the same outcome in social media that we see in the mainstream media. The outcome would be the same. 95% of social media would be men. 95% of the NLL deals would be men. And I don't think that's what we're seeing. Uh, in this case, men's football dominates NIL because that's where the boosters typically are. But once you get past men's football, there's a lot of stuff going to women in gymnastics, women's basketball, softball. Um, you see a lot of women doing very well um, and certainly being quite competitive with the men um, outside of football. And so that tells you that, hey, 
it wasn't a market all this time. This was just discrimination. Um, Do you see and, then that market moving into television? Do you see that trend moving over to what well, we see and watch? There's a little bit. I mean, it's sort of kind of um, you're seeing a little bit more coverage of women's sports now in the mainstream media. Um, you know, you're starting to see women's basketball on, on the networks now where you didn't see that before. Not very much. Um, it's still the case that, you know, last night I had an, I was trying to watch a WNBA game on Twitter. Like, I don't know. Okay. First of all, why is it on Twitter? Secondly, how do you find the thing on Twitter? I, I eventually sent out a tweet saying, where is this? And somebody sent me a link to it. And then I was like, okay, walk me through. How did you get to the link? And they told me some stuff and I'm like, okay, still not saying it. I don't see how, I don't see how you went from A to B. I don't see how you got that link. Um, and so, and I'm like, and if the fact that I could work this hard to figure out where this is, that's not a very good broadcasting deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It should be the, you know, for men, I want to watch a men's sporting event. I turn on the television. That's the extent of the effort I put into this. For women, it's like, uh, like WNBA games are now on a channel called Ion. And my wife is like, well, where is Ion? I said, well, it's not with the sports channels. Yeah, it's sure not. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to the sports channels and then you click up another hundred channels, eventually you'll find this one. I'm like, well, how would I know that? How would I even know that was there? Yeah, you wouldn't know it was there unless you actually were searching for that. And 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 this has made women sports fans a lot more media savvy because they have to try harder to find these things, which is true. That's a benefit. But it would be nicer if women's sports was a little easier to find um, so that you would know, you know, it, it'd be great. It'd be great if we can get to a point where we have in men's sports, there is Monday night football. There is Sunday night baseball right there where the name of the show tells you when it is. Right. You know, um, it used to be Major League Baseball had the game of the week on Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Game of the week. So I, I know when it is. I know what time it is. I know when to tune in. It is still the case for women's sports. We are at this. Well, there might be some games on tonight or maybe there are not. I don't know. Go look. And you're like, OK, that makes it a little harder. Right. Because I don't know when these things are going to happen. I can't plan on them. Um, and it seems kind of random. Um, and, and you're also moving the time these things are shown around a lot. So it's like, you know, today's game was at 11 o'clock in the morning. Okay. I wasn't going to guess that. <laughs> that was not going to be my guess. I, I would have guessed in the evening, maybe. No, nope, it was over by one. We did 11 in the morning. Oh, okay. You know, David, yeah. it seems like, uh, billionaires, um, are knocking themselves over trying to invest in men's professional sports. Do you see any kind of trend where maybe billionaires or less than billionaires are are knocking each other over investing in women's sports? Okay, so so if you go through the Forbes list of billionaires, you'll notice that most of them are white males. So um, those lists are dominated by men. Um, uh, as as uh, Chris Rock, the comedian, famously put it. Um, uh, Bill Gates is fabulously wealthy and Oprah Winfrey has some money. And if Bill Gates woke up tomorrow with Oprah Winfrey's money, he'd be very, very depressed because Bill Gates has like a hundred billion dollars and Oprah Winfrey has two. <laughs> so he like wakes up, you only have two billion, Bill. Wow, my life is over. What happened to me? How did I lose $98 billion? And so there's this you know, I think when people think about who's investing in sports, well, typically it's billionaires. Typically those are men. And what do men like to invest in? They like to invest in other men. 
Um, and so they throw money at, at men's sports, even men's sports that are not phenomenally successful. Major League Soccer is a great example. Uh, Major League Soccer is, is it, it seems unlikely to me that Major League Soccer will ever be really competitive with the English Premier League, which is the, you know, English Premier League, Spanish League. These are the top soccer leagues in the world. They have the top players. They have the top players in their prime. Major League Soccer is very good at hiring famous soccer players that are 35 years old. And you're like, okay, why are you hiring them? Well, I'm sorry. The other top leagues looked at them and went, I'm really not going to pay you that much money anymore because you're 35 years old. And I don't think you can compete with somebody who's 22 anymore. And I realized that at one point you were great and you were great, but at 35, you're not. And so why don't you go play in Major League Soccer and they're going to love you. And they'll give you a lot of money and you'll you'll be happy. And they're going to, I love the way uh, the span, what was it? The Spanish Liga put it for, was it Messi who got hired? They put it, he's going to Major League Soccer because they're not as concerned with winning as we might be. <laughs> I think in, it's their quote they put. In fact, that's right. That was a story that came out this week. I have to be, I have to let you know that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a soccer guy. I broadcast soccer for a long time. So I have a real vested interest in this, but I, I agree with, what you're saying and that certainly was the story this week that yeah they just don't um they're not they they accept losing more than we do something like yes that. i yeah. love that quote i love yeah. that quote we're in this to win and they're kind of not yeah yeah and <laughs> why do you um, go play where they don't care whether we win or not because we really care that we win <laughs> well and you know the soccer fans in america are gonna love to see bessie messy they're gonna pay gobs of money and busquets apparently they, is coming well, they'll and, pay some money yeah yeah, Major League Soccer is still never going to have the revenue that they're going to see in Europe, and they're never. And at the end, end of the day, it ends up being, it's not Major League Soccer; it's Minor League Soccer. It's right. the same as Minor League Baseball. I mean, yeah, and and it's, I mean, it's still the money. It's the TV money. The English Premier League television money is is crazy, like the NFL. It's it's yes, it's exactly. crazy money. It, exactly. It's not exactly the same, but it's crazy. Well, and, and the, you, you look at what Major League Soccer got out of Apple TV, where they got two point five billion dollars for yeah. a platform that nobody even watches. Yeah, and you don't see that in women's sports, right? Why isn't Apple TV giving the WNBA two and a half billion dollars? I don't know. And it's like, well, I I don't like women's. Basketball. And it seems like a not 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 that much money, really. That's over ten years. That's it, it two and a half billion years, over ten years. Yeah, it is. A, it's still immensely more than what women are getting. And it's immensely more than than Major League Soccer was getting, and it's immensely yes. more than what women are, are getting. And as Major well. League Soccer's television ratings are not better than WNBA ratings. Well, WNBA and ratings. and you can and you and you really don't know for sure what Apple's impact has been yet because they have never released any of the numbers of people that have actually purchased this. Though apparently <laughs> no. they are giving Messi a percentage of uh, all the new buys. So yes. there you go. Yes. There you oh, go. It's a, it's a lovely deal. It's a lovely so deal. one 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 other thing here before we run out of time or before we have to run here, and that is, um, my students keep asking, and yours probably are the same. When are we going to get EA Sports college football and basketball back? When are we going to get that back? Isn't that complicated by this idea of how we're going to compensate the players? And from what I understand, the the offer that EA Sports has made to the athletes is pretty paltry uh yeah it depends on yeah you you have to collectively bargain in some way with the player that's going to be really interesting because um you need an organization that represents all the players to get all the players in the game so how is that supposed to work if i create a college football 
um, game, and I only have some of the players, but not other players. So I think from EA Sports perspective, they'd be like, I don't know that I can sell that very well. Um, that you sit there and say, this is just quarterback A, but that's actually a person. Um, and that's going to be difficult. So at some point, and that's why I, I would imagine they would love to have some sort of union they can negotiate with um, at some point. So I, yeah, I, that's, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that's. But you think out. union. That is, that is what started all this, right? The fact that right. they were doing. Right. But do you think unionizing or collectivizing um, the college athlete is not in the athletes um, a benefit at this point? Well, I, you know, I, 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 I was the expert witness when they tried to do that Northwestern. And at that point, that was absolutely a great idea because there was not there was no name and likeness. They had no rights whatsoever. At least they'd be recognized as employees. They could actually bargain for things as employees. Uh, but given the history of how labor unions in, in the U.S. have worked in sports, um, it's, it's initially when you go back in baseball history, when they, when they first, you know, Marvin Miller creates this, the major league baseball union, they had a lot of success. The owners didn't know how to bargain. Marvin Miller was an expert at bargaining. He had been in, in, you know, the steel workers union. He knew how to do all this and he ran circles around them in negotiations. He would get them to agree to all sorts of things. Uh, eventually Owners and sports, after a couple of decades, figured out how to do this. And ever since then, the unions have just been losing ground because the unions can't seem to figure out how to negotiate with, with people who understand what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and, and so I, I worry a lot. And I think college athletes are even worse off in a worse position than a professional athlete because their career is four years long and they know it's not forever. Um, and so it's really hard to, you're not going to be able to create a strike. I mean, how would you do that? It's a four-year career. Yeah. You have no, if you, and if you have no ability to strike in a union, then you don't have much of a union because that's the only bargaining power you got. Um, and so if you can't do that, well, then you're going to have these administrators are going to come to these kids and they're going to tell them a story and they're going to create all sorts of stuff. And the kids are not going to be in a position to go, hey, you know what? You're just being lied to. That's not really how that works at all. Um, that And so I, I, I think that the, I think the students are at a huge disadvantage. I think it's really hard to expect a 19 year old to look at a university president and go, OK, you're just lying to me. That's just nonsense. You know, faculty have trouble doing that. I don't think a 19 year old student is going to be able to do that. Right. So. So you think for now the status is going to be quo here that um, this is the system we have and this is the system and, we have it's chaotic but that's it's always been chaotic and the top teams will continue to win maybe win a little less maybe that will be an outcome a little less maybe there'll be a little less depth on the top teams and there'll be a little bit more chaos on the field uh, fans will still be happy when they win they'll be sad when they lose um, they'll sp still spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about how 19 year old kids behave which is really one of the bizarre things about college sports is that never that never stops being funny to me is that a, that a, that a grown adult gets angry because a 19 year old made a mistake i'm like i'm sorry i teach 19 year olds you're lucky they even know the playbook why yeah yeah it happens to <laughs> us mean, all the time doesn't it <laughs> yes 
I'm sorry, they're 19 years old. I, I would look at the game. Well, he made a mistake on that play. Hey, he got 98% of the plays right. That's an A. I mean, that's pretty damn good. I guarantee you they're not doing that well in the classroom. That's I mean, right. I, I wish I had some 98 uh, that's percentage. Right. I mean, yeah. Come on. That's re- You know, these plays are complicated, and they're getting almost all of them exactly right. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, and, and then they, then they make one mistake and they throw an interception or something like that. And the fans go ballistic and you're like, wow, yeah. wow. You've never taught a 19 year old. Have you? I mean, that's, I'm surprised that doesn't happen all the time. And when it comes to social media with these kids too, it's like, you know, they're 19, 20, 21 years old. And the kinds of things fans say about these kids, oh, it's, uh, it's just awful, isn't it? Just awful. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely hard. It's, it's, there's just, it's it, and you look at it and you're like, is this all you have in your life? Is this it? That's all you got? Nebraska football? That's all you're doing? You got nothing else? Oh boy, there's a and question you don't want to ask around here. You know that. And I think the answer is yeah. That's that's what I got. That's yeah. what I got. This, this this whether this team. That's what fan. That's why it's fanatics. That's what fandom is. Whether we win or lose dictates my life. And and if you go to the hardcore Nebraska fan, they probably could tell you every major loss that they witnessed and how bad that made them feel. And you're like, you know, it was just kids playing a game, right? You get, I mean, they're 19 years old that, 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 you know, and you weren't involved actually. <laughs> you weren't actually playing. And so. you didn't even go to school there. Yeah. Oh, just that's the other here. thing. I love, I love that fandom. You're not even a student there. You're not even associated with the school and you're getting mad about it. Well, how are we deciding that? Um, yeah, my, my, my brother-in-law is a, is a CU Boulder fan. And I'm like, did you go to CU? No, I'm, I'm troubled. I'm having trouble seeing what the connection is. (laughs) What exactly, you know, he he like makes fun when CU beats Colorado state, he like says something to me. I'm like, but I went to Colorado state. I mean, that was the school I went to. I have a reason to root for them. You have, what what did you drive through the campus? That's not the same thing. (laughs) I I never realized how, uh, how crazy that was really until we lived in Southern California and uh, you pick USC or UCLA and almost all the people you talk to never went to school there. Yeah. You gotta pick one though. Right. Yeah. They pick one because that's who they talk to. Well, I grew up in Michigan and we were Michigan fans and I didn't have any family member that went to Michigan and we didn't like Michigan state. And I didn't have any, one of the bizarre things, my father had been accepted to Michigan State. He didn't go, but he but he was not a Michigan State fan, even though that was where he was going to go to school. I'm like, he was a Michigan fan. I'm like, but you didn't go there or even come close to going there. That's the team I root for. I root for all my life. So, I mean, and that's going to continue. There's, there's nothing that's going to happen here that's going to change that relationship. Nothing's going to happen. So this whole idea that name image likeness is going to destroy college sports or ruin college sports, how is that possible? You have millions of fans. They are just as dedicated as they were before. You are still going to be trotting out teams. They're still going to be rooting for the teams. How you are compensating the athletes is irrelevant to that process. It doesn't make any difference. Um, And so none of that matters. And so you're wrong. The only thing, the only people who should be worried about this is people who eventually might say maybe the teams should pay the athletes directly and if we do that we're going to take the money from the coaches now the coaches should be going to get mad because you know how before somebody actually said this that we have a large number of tight end coaches in college who are paid a million dollars a year tight end coaches 
And I just saw a thing about how many universities around the world are passing the United States in research. I'm like, but they're never going to pass us in tight end coaching. We're going to be, we're always be better at that. <laughs> so, so it's like, it's like, why are we investing a million dollars in a tight end coach? That's ridiculous. But the money's got to go someplace at this point. And yeah. it, so they give it to the coaches. We're number one. We're number one. We're number one. Yeah. You know, no one's going to be able, you know, they're, yeah, yeah. You just wait till those Europeans try to run a route off of a block. They're never going to be able to do that. <laughs> Not a chance. He can catch the ball too, darn it. That's right. You, you, yeah. you got to be able to do both. You got to be able to block and catch the ball and know your routes. Yeah, how are you ever going to do this? I mean, I mean, I the, the next level of AI, the science, he can, you know, catch you're the going ball. to class all the time and you don't yeah. even know your routes. Come, yeah, on. come on. Or your blocking schemes. So, so what is this on. all, what does this all um, do for a guy who researches about sports and economics and gender and, and those kinds of things? Is this all great fodder for you? Oh, it's all great. Cause we get like 80, 80 more papers to write about this stuff. Yeah. It's just generating data after data after data. We just write more things and yeah, it's all, uh, yeah, that's, that's the cool thing about doing sports research. They just, they keep generating stuff for us to write about. And you're like, well, thank you. I, I appreciate you're doing that for me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a constant, here's a new, you know, we're going to create this paper for you and this paper for you. And this, it's like, well, you are just fantastic. I just love that you're doing that for me. Um, if you kept doing it exactly the same way, I kind of run out of things to talk about, yeah. but you keep, would you write it for me too? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's really, that's the cool thing about writing about sports is that it's, it's such a fun laboratory uh, where you have these people making decisions that matter so much to them. And you can see the data that they're looking at and you can evaluate their decision making and you can and it's so much it's so great. It's so much better than uh, and I watch and I see other economists who write about other things. And you're like, I can't imagine spending a lifetime writing about that. That's not interesting. Nobody nobody's ever going to call you up and ask you about that paper you wrote about, you know, market share in this particular. Nobody cares about that. Um, and so you know, I write about stuff that people are interested in and you can tell stories about it. And it's all fun. And that's what we do. And that's kind of cool. Right. So uh, you're probably not going to win the Nobel prize for economics. I don't think I will. And, and, um, and even if I did, they, they're, they would, even if they considered me, they, they're going to have to come across an article I, I wrote at Forbes. And it's one of my favorite articles I ever wrote where I said the Nobel prize is like the dumbest thing ever. And I, I, the point I made is um, in sports, if you want to be in the baseball's hall of fame, there's like 400 voters and they have all this data that they can look at and rank the players. And they have all hundreds of voters. And even then people go, you totally screwed that up. That's totally wrong. You didn't get that right. Nobel prize is, is a decision made by a committee of less than 10 people in Sweden dealing with something where there's no real data you don't you can't rank research you can't say that paper is objectively better than that paper you can say i like that paper better than that paper but you what is the scale how would you standardize that where is the empirical evidence that you have that this is better than that it's just a paper that's a paper that's a paper they're both valid that that's it and that <clears throat> you have this committee gets together seven people and they vote you're the best They've done what? How do you know that? That's ridiculous. And so I would imagine, let's say I ever get to a point where I'm so famous that the committee says, well, how about Dave Barry? 
then they're going to like Google Dave Barry. This article's called, he said, we're a bunch of morons. Yeah, I don't think we can give him the award. <laughs> How would that speech go? I just want to say at the beginning of my speech, this is really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to say, I was, I was being honest. I, I appreciate the money, but this is really, really, there is no objective evidence that I am better or worse at this than anybody. This is ridiculous. You could have drawn a name out of a hat. It would have been just as empirically valid. <laughs> so this is ridiculous. You know, David, I, I don't know if this is a transitional question or not, but I'm thinking how how often do the people in sports, um, management, ownership, even uh, athletes representation, do they um, chase you down and get advice from you? I sometimes get calls from people. It typically doesn't go very well. I don't tell them what they want to hear. I've had some really weird interactions with people in sports. I once had a um, uh, general manager of an NBA team uh, call me in my office on a Saturday, um, which was bizarre because you'd have to know that I was going to be there on a Saturday. And in this case, I am actually in my office on Saturday afternoon. I usually work three or four hours every day. I don't work eight hours any day. I just work a few hours every day. I was in my office on a Saturday. My phone rings. It's a general manager. He starts talking to me, very friendly guy. And after about 10 minutes, I realized this dude's like interviewing me, like for a position. And I'm like, what are we doing here? And he starts throwing out how I would react to certain things. And at one point he said, uh, we have a stats guy who works with us and the other people are not stats people, obviously. Um, and he's really cool because the other people make fun of him and they, they poke fun at, him, at all of his numbers. And he's like, cool with that. And I'm on the phone. I'm like, yeah, I'm a college professor. I'm probably not going to be cool with that. Not gonna, I'm probably not going to think that's cute. No, I don't think so. So you didn't get the job. <laughs> I, I No, he did not call back. He was very friendly, but he never called me again. No, I, he realized that I was not going to be a, uh, I was not going to be a team player. And I was like, professors aren't really known for being team players. <laughs> We're not team players. I am in the office so, on Saturday. Uh, but Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what I think. And if you say, I don't agree, I'm going to be like, well, that's what I think. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you can believe in anything you want to believe, but I'm telling you what I, how it works. Now, you, and, and so I, I get that. I get that sometimes, not very often. I I I don't seek those things out. They don't pay. The, athletic teams surprisingly don't pay very well. Um. So they're they're you know the amount that that I would get paid like as a consultant in a legal case is quite quite a bit different than what a team would be willing to pay me. And when I point that out to them, they're they're rather shocked. You know because of. PhD in economics, you hire them from a legal case, the hourly wage is really ridiculous. Um, and when you tell that to an athletic team, you're like, you, you realize how much this is going to cost you if I really actually work with you. You would have to pay me a tremendous amount of money to have take up my time. Um, and they're like, well, can't we just, I, I had one team say, can't we just give you like a few thousand dollars? And no, that would, that's not going to buy very much of my time. Yeah, I mean, you are, you are. Uh, paying me for my expertise. Uh, yeah, there's some value here. Yeah, yes, there's. Well, at least that's what you're claiming. That's why you're calling me, right? Yeah, you claim there's value here. And 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 you know, so that 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 those conversations. It, we're professors. It's I'm not seeking those things out. I like my job. I like what I do. Good. I like having the freedom to make my own choices about what I do. I I get paid enough money to to do that. I'm not looking to get more stuff. I don't care. 
Um, I like the size of my house. I like the cars I drive. I'm not really that. None of these things, none of the stuff they're offering is interesting to me. It's yeah. like, but if we paid you this, you could buy a bigger house. You know, in my house, I vacuum. I've, I've told students this. I'm the one who vacuums the house. If it's much bigger, that's going to take me a lot of time. I really don't want to do that. I've done the economics <laughs> of that. It's just not. This doesn't work. Yeah, I, really, I like the size of my house the way it is. If it were, I, I look at people with, you know, a 5,000 square foot house. I'm like, Okay, how's how's the vacuuming situation working on that? Because that's got a five thousand square feet would take a long time. You would be taking some of that hard-earned money and having somebody do that for you. So you, you would, you and I and I and I and my students pointed out, well, wouldn't you just hire someone? I said, you realize that means somebody is going to be in your house. I mean, I don't know that I want people. If that if you're going to get to that point, and I think this is what happens for very wealthy people is you eventually hire a staff, right, who takes care of that. But now you've converted your house into a hotel. And it's like, I don't want to live in a hotel. I want to live in a house. It's my house. I don't want to have a staff going through my house. You've reasoned this very well. You've reasoned yeah, this so very like, well. So I, I think yeah. there's, I tell students, that I said, there's a limit to how much money you want to have, because at some point, and I was, I, I actually, I put this in a, in a, in a, 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 in a history book I just finished writing. Um, that at some point when you're fabulously wealthy and you build yourself a compound with a wall with guards, you have built yourself a penitentiary. Congratulations, you're now in prison. <laughs> so way to go! Way to go! Way to go. Wow! Wow! It's it's like if you ever saw the Jerry Seinfeld thing with Barack Obama when he interviewed him in the White House and he wanted to drive Barack Obama off the White House grounds to a coffee shop. And he, Barack Obama comes to the gate and the guard at the gate looks at the president of the United States and says, where are you going? I'm going to go get some coffee. You you are definitely not going to go get some coffee. That is not going to happen. Yeah, you're not. You don't get to do that. You will turn the car around, Mr. President, and go back to your office. But I thought I was in charge. I'm the president. Well, I'm the guard and you're not leaving. So, so you are in prison and you're going where we tell you to go and back to your office is where you're going because you're not doing this. And, and that's on. exactly what it's yeah. like when you're fabulously wealthy because people are going to be after you and you have to have protection. Now you have guards. Now you are being escorted. Now people have to be knowing where you are. And it's, is that the life you want? You know, that doesn't sound like a terribly fun way to live your life. Uh, if it were, then sending people to prison would be a reward, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Go to prison. <laughs> you mentioned the sling. You mentioned Forbes. What are some of the other places we can find your work? Uh, so um, I, Global Sports Matters is really good. Uh, I've written a few things for them. That's a really very that's a very cool uh, publication out of Arizona State. Um, and so so Global Sports Matters has been very good. Um, I do have a history book uh, that I hope will be coming out um, in, a, in a few months, uh, which will uh, talk about economic history with music and movies and television shows and comedy bits uh, that I use in my class that students seem to enjoy. Uh, I finally found a publisher that was willing to publish it for a price that I thought was reasonable. Uh, it's not a textbook. Uh, I did find a, earlier a publisher that said, hey, I'll do it for you know $80 a copy. And I was like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to sell it for eighty dollars. Students, students can get it from the bookstore with just printed out for thirty bucks. Can you do it for thirty? I finally found a publisher that says we'll do it for thirty. We'll sell it for thirty. It's an ebook. It'll be great. Um, so hopefully that will be fun. I hope people uh, find that to be enjoyable and entertaining. 
Um, it's, it's, it is meant to be entertaining and fun. And the students that have read it for the last few years, a lot of them have said, you know, it's the first book in class I actually read. Uh, it was entertaining. I followed it. Okay. Well, great. Well, thanks for your time as always. And we always sure. take more of your time than we promise. And I appreciate that. David Berry, a professor of economics at Southern Utah University. And uh, that's B-E-R-R-I if you're looking it up. And you can Google it and find all that cool stuff. I'm John Schrader. This is Watch the Media.